this morning we are continuing our on mission sermon series uh, as we're leading up to hopefully some services the next two Sundays to, to share some exciting stuff with you. Um, last week we talked about going outside from Hebrews uh, 13, and this is the scripture. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Uh, Last week we talked a lot about how we go outside uh, with our words. There's really two sides of uh, of church and how they get on mission. Um, And some of them will get full on on one side or the other. Uh, one side is evangelism. How do we go just tell the world they need Jesus? That's absolutely part of the mission of the church and the core mission, the Great Commission. Um, and, and, but then Jesus also gives these commands and directions as the church uh, to, be a, to be a body of people who show mercy and compassion on their neighbors. And, and what you would see as a, a mercy ministry or justice ministry and so what happens so many times is you, you find churches are who are, man, they'll preach to the lost, and they will preach, 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 but there's not a lot of compassion on their neighbors. Y'all met people like that? Nope, none of you. Everybody's afraid to raise their hand. You got people who can preach and say it with their words. And then you have uh, sometimes other churches They go all in on the mercy and the compassion and the justice, and they're just loving everybody, and they're taking care of everybody, and they're doing good things. They're being the church, but sometimes they leave out in that those actions and activities uh, the gospel, right? It gets really a little more difficult to speak and say, we're all broken sinners in need of a Savior. And what I think is really important is that the church should be both, And that as we look in our outreaches and the things we're doing, that we have both components of that. That we are both saying things and sharing the gospel and speaking into people's lives and pointing them to Jesus, uh, but at the same time showing mercy and grace and compassion on neighbors who are in need. Does that make sense? So last week we talked a lot about our words. How do we do it? We talked about the time Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee just to get to the crazy, naked, demon-possessed man changed his life forever and how he spoke to him remember he asked he all all he says like i want to know your name what's your name the man said what do you want to know with me jesus said what's your name and then he helped him and then he wanted relationship with him and those are the things he spoke uh spoke into him and then he told him just go tell the people in your hometown where what i've done for you how how i changed your life share the gospel and we talked about how to do that last week this week we're really talking about how do we go outside in our actions, in the things we do? And, and how do we do it uh, not just for people who we can benefit in the relationship from? We're, we're really easy in serving those people. If we think we can get something out of them or they can help us in some way, we'll, we'll, we'll do anything for them. But how do we get our hearts right and say, I just want to help people because Jesus helped people and you can never pay me back for this? Like, I know you can't. There's no benefit for me being here and helping you. Like, I'm just here to help. And so, so this morning, we're going to talk about that. Well, last week, we talked about words. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about actions. I'd like to point something back to verse 12 here. 
in Hebrews 13 where it says, and so Jesus also suffered. Jesus suffered. Um, I think just in those words uh, are power uh, for us to be reminded of. And, uh, you know, some of us may have lived um, fairly blessed, average, uh, maybe even privileged lives where we've had pretty much everything we've always needed our entire life and never had any serious illness or illness directly around us. We, we may not uh, have suffered. We're going to look at a guy uh, today um, in, in, in Luke chapter 10, what's known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to look at a guy here and three people, uh, a guy that got, um, he got robbed on the side of the road and left laying in the ditch uh, to die. And three people came by him. Y'all know the story. We're going to look at it kind of briefly. And then I got something. You got, we got two stools here. We're going to have a little bit of a conversation um, at the end of the message with uh, Megan Williams, who is a faithful supporter of our church and volunteer. And uh, we'll get into some of that uh, at the end. Uh, but we're going to look at this story um, of the Good Samaritan. Let's go ahead and read the scripture, and then we'll just spend some time talking about it. Starting in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God. This is the expert in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus taught, the great commandment. Everything hangs on this. If this is at the center of our heart, everything else falls into line and takes care of itself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. I want just to pause for a second and realize uh, that that scripture is important, but this man was an expert in the law. He knew all the scripture, but he hadn't found the relationship with Jesus Christ. He knew the scripture, yet he was struggling with how to apply it. And so the man says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Like, so that's like three people. How many neighbors y'all got? Some of you live in an apartment complex, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's a bunch of people. Some of you live in the head of a holler and say, I'm good. Love them. Love them to death, the squirrels, the deer, the turkey. And so that's what this man asked. He says, who is my neighbor anyway, Jesus? How clear is that? So Jesus goes into a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, oh man, that means a lot speaking to this, this, this expert in the law who was a Jew. Because Jews saw themselves as full breed, God's children. Their nationality, their race mattered. And the Samaritans, at some point down the, the history and generations, they had intermingled with Gentiles. And they were seen as, uh, as, as not purebred Jews. They were not 
respected. They were actually looked down upon as dogs. Actually, they were, the Jews would not have relationships with them. Actually, when, when Jesus says, but a Samaritan, this man's like, oh no, where's this going? I can't stand those people. They are not God's people. And, and what are you going to say about them? And Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him, or he had compassion on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus then says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say Samaritan. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Likewise, I think there's something interesting here as we talk about going outside and serving and helping those uh, that are in need. Um, and I think this, this, this helped the man. I got, I got three points I'm going to share. They're pretty brief. But what really God laid on my heart here about the Samaritan, I've never really seen it in this story before. I've preached on this story before. But, but something spoke to me here. Um, and, and, I, and as I thought about the, the priest and the Levite, who probably were maybe similar to us, honestly, that lived a life of, of not much suffering. They, they had some level of privilege, and they had a calendar to keep, and they had places to go, and they had family, and they had jobs, and they had a network, and they had stuff to do, and lists, and busyness, and things uh, to do. And so what's happened so much is our busyness and, and, and our privilege and the things that are uh, good and can be good in and of themselves and used for good things tend to blind us to the pain that's around us. See, the reason I think the Samaritan was, was inclined to stop, maybe, um, was because he was a little more in tune with his brokenness. Because he had been someone who had been avoided, right? He knew what it meant, what it felt like for people to pass him by. He knew what it felt like for people to think he was less than. He knew what it felt like to be ignored, avoided at all costs. He knew what... It felt like. And regardless of where we are in life, we got a, everybody in this room has got a little bit of privilege. We've got some good things happening to us that were out of our control, that we were either born into, like God's grace and mercy put us in this place, and we have these things. And, and they sometimes blind us. Let me give you an example. This, uh, this week, uh, I was gone to Lexington on Saturday. I was coming home. 
Bethany and I had like a whole host of things we needed to do Friday and things to do Saturday. Like we had our schedule completely full and, and, uh, and Bethany was going home Thursday evening. We were going to wash some clothes. We had all kinds of stuff to do. And she called me and she said, Beth, Rosie went in to wash her hands and the water won't come on. I said, that's weird. It was like 5.30 or 6. I said, okay, let me, let me call and see. And immediately I went, did I pay the water bill? In the back of, uh, another step back in my mind, I went, no, I didn't. Can I catch them before they leave? Is it a water? So I call, and I'm like, so we live in Harold, and our water's off. Is there like an outage? Nobody else has called. I was like, oh, no. And I said, can you check on our water? He's like, I did get a list of people to shut off. And I said, okay. He said, what's your name? Jared, Arnett. I mean, the A's must have been alphabetical. I went, yep, here you are. <laughs> like immediately. And he told me how much we owed. And, uh, and apparently at some point in the last few years, we had, we'd been paying a month behind anyway. So when I was just a few days late on this month, they thought we were like, a, like almost, there was two bills behind. And so they had come and unhooked our water. All right, so I, I'm like, all right. He's like, I said, so can I pay right now? I was driving through. I said, I'll stop in Prestonsburg. I'll pay the bill. Can you send somebody to turn it back on? Like, I really need it. I don't want to call Beth and tell her. <laughs> Do anything. And, uh, and he was like, no, like, it's going to be tomorrow morning before we can take payment. Call five minutes after eight, and we'll, we'll radio somebody, and they'll, they'll come get it on pretty quick. So I was like, all right. I'm just going home with no water. And so I got home, and, and like, just that one evening, this is no joke. Like, I went to the sink so many times and turned it on, and nothing came out. Like, to the smallest things, just like one evening without water. And, like, our whole, like, just our whole life fell apart. Like, we couldn't do what we needed to do the next day of the weekend. Like, we can't, we can't get this, we can't get that. Even, even Harker's little blue cup he loves has milk, and I'm like, how do we get this old milk out of it? <laughs> and so I felt just for a moment, and then I thought about Sean, right, that lives in the apartment under the boxing gym, who's going on six months living in that space with no water. And I thought about how I felt about it, like on Thursday morning before our water had been turned. I was like, yeah, he's living with no water. And like by Friday morning, I was like, oh, my God, if they don't come by 10 o'clock this morning, we're going to have to move. Right? But I experienced just for a moment what it might feel like to be in somebody else's shoes. And right, so, so what I think the Samaritan, that he knew what it felt like. And so what I'm telling you this morning is for us to really go outside and care and do it for the right reasons, you have to connect with your own brokenness and acknowledge it. 
You've got to realize you, we do not deserve all the good that's come to us. Yes, we can have work ethic, and God blesses that, but God maybe gave us that work ethic. Who breathed life into us from the beginning? We've got to come to a, a posture where we just say, God, this is all yours. Everything good in my life is yours. If it was not for you, I would not have a hope in the world. Not only could I do anything here, but I'd be destined for hell. But you came and you loved me. You cared for me. Everything is yours. But sometimes we get in the minds like, I go to church. Why don't Sean go to church every Sunday? Why don't he do this? Why don't he do that? Why don't he do this? Like we get in this list. And, we, and, and then I talk to him. He's like, he, he, he can't get his driver's license. He needs this much money. He needs this. He, he can't get a place to live. He like. He's got a felon. He's got like all these things against him. I'm like, man, if I was in your shoes, I don't know what I would do. Three things I want you to just take from this, and then we're going to talk um, to make. Because uh, first of all, The, the suffering, I may not have experienced all things, but as a pastor, Bethany and I have got to sit with a lot of people who have. People who are honest. And uh, talk about losing their grown children to addiction. Wondering if they failed as parents, wondering if their child is in heaven or hell, wondering if it was just moral failure or a disease. Uh, I've watched Bethany sit with other women who just, they've not told anybody, but they begin to share that their marriage has fallen apart, that there's been infidelity, that like just real messes. I've talked with people who start sharing that they were abused as children that they've been beaten, that they grew up having beer bottles thrown at, like, and, and so when you, because that's all the stuff we don't share, right? We all got a chapter of our life that nobody reads. But some, somehow we got to realize that Jesus suffered. And all these things that, 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 that are, is our brokenness inside, uh, it, it said he suffered for us. Like we can really let go and realize that he has taken all of that bondage and the burden. He's given us freedom from it all. But we can't forget that it's there, that it was there, and that he's our only hope, and that he is our grace. Lessons from the Samaritan story. Uh, lack of love is often easy to justify, but it's never right. Like, it's just never right. It's easy for the, the priest to be like, I got to be here, I got to be there, I got stuff to do. It's easy for the Levite to say, you know, tough luck, like you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, and, and uh, I can't, I'm not going to help you. But it's never right. Our neighbor, second lesson, our neighbor is anyone of any race, creed, or social background in need. I was talking with the uh, the missions director at Southland uh, Christian Church this week, and he was sharing about how they've been going to Indonesia since the uh, the tsunami, 
and he's been there seven, 17 times with teams from the church. And, uh, and he said, you know, it's predominantly 99.9% Muslim where we go. He said, but we, we go and we love and we're helping. And, you know, every time they announce the, the partner of the organization there that's helping, they say Southland Christian Church. And he said they were, they're, they're loving and they're helping. And, and he said, you know what, they, the, at the mosque there, they had a, a celebration for Muhammad. It's birthday, 3,500 people, and they invited us there to sit at the head table. What does that look like? We're all like, what? But with their actions, they've gone outside. And they've seen that a Christian is not just a Christian in words, but in deeds, they care for their neighbor. And the neighbor is any race, any creed, any social background, just someone in need. Were they in need? They lost 230,000 people in four seconds. I mean, can you even fathom that? I totally am disconnected from that. I remember when it happened, I thought, that's bad, and went on with life. Am I the only one, like, out of sight, out of mind? 230,000 people in four seconds. Our neighbors, anyone of race, social background, need. Here's the last thing. Love means acting to meet the person's need. It doesn't mean talking about it. It doesn't mean praying about it. It doesn't mean calling them through on the prayer chain. It doesn't mean hoping that things work out for them. It means in that moment where it feels uncomfortable to act and do something, we do it. We do something. All right, we're going to talk to Megan. You hear Megan? Did you leave? Did you make a run for it? Come on up here just for a minute. Um, we're going to talk about Megan. You remember uh, several months ago, uh, I think we got a wireless mic here. I can get you. Uh, I'll let you sit there in the light, maybe. I'll sit over here in the darkness. Hello, darkness. Who's going to finish that song? My old friend. Hey, I knew somebody. Seen trolls. Um, we're going to talk to Megan. So uh, several months ago, she uh, reached out to us back in the spring, I guess, mm -hmm. and said she had this heart to go on a crew mission trip. She's a student at UPI. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about her mission trip, our church. You all overwhelmingly helped her. Um, our church helped some, but you, many individuals here today gave and helped provide all kinds of stuff she needed to go on this trip. Um, and so we're just going to talk a little bit about Megan. We're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about the, her experience on the trip. We've got some pictures you can see, uh, and then we'll just we'll go from there. What's it look like going outside? She went outside. She went to Montana. That's outside, right? Very I mean, outside. <laughs> they probably have inside there somewhere, buildings, right? A little. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about how she went outside, how we support her, and just kind of sharing that story. So tell us a little bit about yourself and use the mic. I know it's a little uncomfortable, yeah. but they could probably hear you, but online, maybe not. So just use that. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Megan Williams. I'm a third year at UPOC. I work at Faith Life Market. Um, I've been going 
to New Beginnings for a year and a few months now. Uh, I mean, you Pike band. There you go. That's her that playing was our the trumpet. first game last week. Our second game was yesterday. And these are some of the coffee things at Faith Life, right? Well, if mm-hmm. you if some of you wonder what happens at Faith Life Market, lots of good things happen. Um, but this is just one example, a ministry that Megan has started where she's writing scriptures and, and doing some artwork on the uh, the coffee things at mm-hmm. the market, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, real quick side story on that. Was it Brian, right, that got yeah. the one that had the verse? So, right, was that you that had the verse that, yeah, so Brian that's, Brian that's here, uh, is in med school. He came in, went to Faith Life Market, got a cup, and it had the verse that God used to speak to him to come to Pikeville was on his coffee cup. All right, this is kind of how God works through espresso. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and so, um, so yeah, Barista at Faith Life Market, volunteer at the church, yep. uh, helps on kids on Wednesday night, all that good Love stuff. Love those kids. Uh, so talk to me a little bit when you first started thinking about going to Montana, were you scared? Like, and what you, were you afraid of maybe? Whenever I first started thinking about going to Montana, I was terrified. I was just like, I didn't, I didn't want to go on a mission trip, but the Lord had different plans and it kept coming back up in my life that I needed to go. And I was just like, well, I guess I'm going on a mission trip. And, um, my leader at the time, she told me, her name was Julie. She told me, she was just like, you need to go on the crew website and look at mission trips and pick out your top three favorite and let me know what you like the most. And I kept going back to this one mission trip and it was the nation's mission trip. And I was just like, this one seems really cool. And I was just like, I'm not an outdoors person. I hate going outside and I don't know what to do whenever it comes to camping. She was just like, that sounds great. You should do it. And I signed <laughs> up for that one mission trip, and I was just like, Lord, if you want me to go on a mission trip, you'll let this one fall through, and I'll get to go. And a few weeks, maybe a month later, I got the message while I was folding laundry. And every time that I got some good news about the mission trip, I was folding laundry. So I don't know if the Lord's telling me to do laundry more or not. But... I got the message, and it was just like, you got accepted into the nation's mission trip. And I was just like, okay, so I'm going to Montana. Where's Montana? And it, it just, I was terrified. Yeah, and, and you'd, never tra- you'd never flown before. Never. Um, so we went through the process of getting plane tickets and walking through what that looked like. And then getting there your first day, right, meeting new people, and, you know, you're not checking into the Hilton. We checked into wall tents. Uh, I wish I would have put a picture of our wall tent up there. Um, I was, I wanted to come home my first day there. I was jet lagged. I couldn't eat. We had bison burger. Yeah. Like, I was just like, I want to try this, but I'm going to throw it up in like five minutes. Because <laughs> I was so jet lagged. And my leader looked at me. Her name was Amy. She was just like, go get some rest. She was just like, if you wake up tomorrow and you want to go home, we'll send you home. And I was just like, okay. My friend, before I went to sleep, she handed me this like 
list of like prayers about fear and funny story I didn't read it until I got back and it made me cry she's sitting in the middle uh she was the one that handed me the paper and it was just it was amazing and I'm so thankful for just waking up the next day and then checking on me because it was all women on my mission trip all of us Guys could have applied. Two guys applied. They got accepted. They didn't come. Typical. No yeah. shows. <laughs> but, yeah, that's us. So talk a little bit about your experience there once you got it. It was three weeks, um, and so we don't have a lot of time. But share two or three things that just what you learned about the people, maybe some of their background and like that you didn't know before that kind of opened your eyes to, mm -hmm. to their difficult situations and some of the things you did while you were there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we were on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation, and where we were staying, we were about like 10 minutes, 5 minutes down the road, and we would go to the reservation every day, starting our second day there, and our first day out in the community was a prayer walk, and we got to talk to people and just get out in the community and with their, their local church, something that I learned was if something hits our communities, it hits a reservation 10 times harder. And I know a lady, she talked to me about how her and her husband struggled through like just sin in their marriage and drug abuse and alcohol abuse. And then the same story happened not even a few minutes later with the set with a different lady. She was talking about how she was addicted to drugs and now her son is in prison for alcohol abuse and her daughter is on the streets because she's addicted to drugs. And her daughter is actually on a show. Is it like it's like drug addicted or something? Oh wow. It's like a show yeah. and her daughter's on it. And she was just like, it's hard seeing her on that show because we've tried helping her out of that. And she's just like, it just hits our communities such in such a hard way. And she's just like, I know there's going to be a new drug introduced soon. She's just like, because it's going to end up coming here. Yeah. What about the perception of the church there for some of those people? It wasn't always a positive thing, right, with their past experiences? Oh, yeah. I mean, the church is still on the reservation not a great thing because especially with the Blackfeet people, um, I know a pastor named Titus told us his story and his grandma's story, and this might be a little out there. That's perfect. But We're going outside. That's, that's um, real. If it's real, it's here. His grandma was taken away to uh, school and by the church right by like by the catholic church yeah, yeah. and <laughs> she got taken there uh they cut her hair and they gave her a uniform and a little like toy wooden gun and they'd have to march out every morning with this little wooden gun and if they spoke in the blackfeet language if they talked to each other in that language if they said anything about their home they would be sat on top of a hot stove 
like with bare skin and told that Jesus loved them. And I don't know how that makes you guys feel, but whenever I got told that, and I realized like the extent of how they've been hurt by Jesus, what they think Jesus is, is just heartbreaking. And I know I didn't have that experience. I was lucky to have a great experience, but it's just like he had to introduce Jesus in a different way to his grandma. And thankfully she was saved before she passed and she went to church with him and he's a pastor. That's amazing. And he's a Blackfeet pastor, which is a big deal. And actually what you were talking about, how your friend, they invite them back every year to sit at the head of the table. Yeah. The chief of the Blackfeet nation is Christian. So he's kind of like welcomed in the people on the mission trips and stuff. And, and so this mission wasn't straight ahead, just always uh, evangelizing. Or t- it was really building relationships with people. Yeah. This mission trip, I like to say, wasn't like any other mission trip. Um, I don't know if you have a bigger picture of the one with all the kids in it. I don't think so. I think that's the... Um, that's a thing called... Bottom right? Yeah. Uh, that cool. was the way camp. And the way camp was just about building a relationship with the kids before we left. And that was literally our last thing we done there. Um, we didn't go out into the community much, and when we did, we didn't go out and build new houses or anything. We went out and we talked to people. I remember, like, our third day there, I went out and we walked through, I think it was, yeah, it was by the post office, and... There was these three people sitting there, two men and a woman, a woman, and they were drinking. So we were like, let's go talk to them. Absolutely random. And we talked to them, and we were like, all of us were about to get up and leave. And then this truck pulls up, and this man, he's telling us the CDC guidelines and everything. And we asked him our questions. We're like, what do you like about living here? And he was just like, family, community, just the mountains, because the mountains there are beautiful. And he was just like, just everything about this place. He was just like, whenever I went to another reservation, they didn't give me a job. They treated me as an outsider, and it wasn't home. And I said, if this is too deep, you don't have to, like, answer it, but what do you not like about living here? And he was just like, people like these guys. And for him to say that right in front of them was like, I was shocked. But he was just like the drug addiction, the drug abuse, the alcohol addiction and the alcohol abuse. He was just like, because this guy, he was a great tennis player in high school. I went to high school with him, and now he's doing this. He was just like, I don't know how to help him because I've tried. He was just like, I wish people would stop. Let's share just as we finish up here. Your, uh, h- how did you get to New Beginnings? Just kind of share that story and and Christ. Um. So I came to New Beginnings because I was working at the closet. And if anybody's new here, the closet was this little thrift store kind of take what you need, yeah, kind of thing. We and were giving clothes away. It was the precursor to Faith Life Market, yeah. and it was over here on College Street. 
So I was working at the closet, and the way I got there was because I just needed a work-study job. So I contacted Rob Music, and he was just like, how about I put you at the closet? And I was just like, sure. I know Emily. I've done my work day there. Um, and I was sitting in the back because we had this like little back kitchen area. And I was sitting there with Ginger, and we were washing your rings off. And if anybody doesn't know, Ginger's uh, Jared's mother-in-law, and she's awesome. Yes, she is. <laughs> Brownie points. Yep. <laughs> Working it. But uh, she was sitting in the back washing rings, and I was holding the rings, and she said, remind me what church you go to. And I was just like, I don't go to a church. And she was just like, well, why don't you come to our church? And I was just like, well, it's because I dress like this, and I was like wearing a cutoff shirt and like some ripped black skinny jeans. And she was just like, she's back there shaking her head. She was just like, I don't care the way you dress. We don't care the way you dress. We just want you to worship. And I was just like, okay. And I was still kind of iffy about it. And she was just like, well, what do you want to do? And I was just like, I want to teach. And she was just like, well, come teach your kids on Wednesday night. And I was just like, okay, that would look good on my resume. <laughs> and then I got up here, went upstairs, and fell in love with the kids. I love those kids up there with every bit in me. They're amazing. They fed into me more than I fed into them. Yeah. And uh, everybody give Megan a hand. You got anything else you'd like to say? You good? I think what I, I want you to hear Megan's story and her going outside. Oh, I forgot to ask you the most important question. Was it worth it? You were afraid to go. You went. Was it worth it? Yes, is the answer. Because in her story, I, the reason we took it back to the end there, because Megan's whole story is because somebody went outside first. Okay, when, when somebody, the manager at Cato said, we got all these clothes, we don't know what to do with them, we're like, and they stuck them in our youth center over on College Street, and then we just started giving them away, and we're like, wait, this feels like a thing, and then we called it the closet, and we made a sign, and we got volunteers, and like, why are we going here to give clothes out? This is not in the church. This is not a Bible study. This, and, and so because somebody went outside first and did something weird that they followed what God had called them in to do, right? Megan is just one of many that reached, and what happened with Megan is multiplying, can you see? She, so she goes outside, and then she goes to Montana. The only reason she's there, because at one point we came up with a closet logo and put a sign over a wall and opened the doors, and people faithfully stepped up and started volunteering. And so, um, we're going to wrap up this morning with just this this thought, and it's from my wife. Um, she shared a memory. This was from today. Because I think sometimes when we, when we want to go outside, we think, well, I'm not qualified to help. I'm not qualified to serve. 
Um, and uh, this is one of uh, our coffee mugs at home uh, that we love. And it is cracked and it's broken, but we still drink out of it all the time. And every time we get it, it's this little reminder that, like, even if you're broken, you're still useful. And, and actually, I think the more you realize you are broken, the more useful you are. The less we are self-righteous and the less we think we have enough confidence in ourselves and we can handle it ourselves, the less we're in that mindset, the more we see that we need Christ, the more compassionate we are on our neighbor. She shared that this morning. I'm going to share the, the words she put, and this is how we're going to close out today when she shared this morning. Even if, even if I will, even if I really messed up, even if I'm ashamed to tell, even if no one knows that, even if I struggle, even if I'm afraid, even if I'm tempted to doubt, even if I'm not sure of my next steps, even if things happened I didn't expect, even if I feel not good enough, even if no one understands, even if I cry, even if I have very little, even if I have more than enough, even if I will find joy I will trust him. And here's where I want our heart. I think even Jesus, as a human, had a hint of wanting to stay on the inside. You remember the garden where he prayed? His sweat turned into blood, and he prayed this prayer Father, your will. Not mine, even if I'm scared. I want to go. God, we come to you uh, in this moment as we get ready for this song. We're so thankful to be around people who go outside, God, we just pray like David prayed, search our hearts. God, find the thing inside of us that has us deceived, that Satan has shown us, that's telling us this lie, that, we're, that either we're not good enough or, uh, you, you know, our, our spouse doesn't love us or uh, uh, because it's our own fault. What, whatever these lies that are his, point those things out to us that are keeping us from being confident and stepping out in faith in you. God, we just pray as we see those things, we reflect on them, and we see your purity, your joy, and realize you've taken all the suffering. You went to the cross. that You bore the disgrace that we deserved. And God, if there's anybody here today that, that has never just given their heart and their entire life to you, God, that we'd see even through the brokenness, you are beautiful. God, and you are working all things together for our good. And you've given us the power to take maybe the disadvantage, the abuse, the, the wrong things the, that have been done to us, but do good and change the trajectory of our family with your help. God, we know the verse I love that I share all the time, that you are able to do uh, uh, more than we ask or imagine, immeasurably more. And I share that a lot, but the, the next line in that says, through the power that is working inside of us. There's no power in this building. There, there, there's no power 
in the name New Beginnings Fellowship Church, the power of God. God, you are here in your presence, and the power is inside of each and every one of us. God, we sang this one. We invited your spirit in. We give you control, and we want your presence. And we give it all to you today, God. We give you our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.